A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jordan Jarrett Bryan of Channel 4 News and Dominic Fifield of The Athletic. We talk a lot about safety and protecting the players. I'm not so sure we did this today. All managers have a deeply personal perspective, but Thomas Tuchel's honest reaction to a game Chelsea did not want to play at Wolves on Sunday goes to the heart of an issue football must come to terms with. The goalless draw damaged their title prospects, but that felt like a minor matter in a spiralling public health crisis. Surely we've reached the point where the game needs to look after its own. Now, Dom, you were with Tuchel at Molyneux. Do you agree with him? Yeah, I I do. It it didn't feel right this weekend just to see the, the sort of random nature almost of some of the postponements. It's a particular case with Chelsea. He, Thomas Tuchel isn't complaining when he talks about health and, and, and protecting the, the players. He's he's not complaining solely about potentially seven positive tests in his squad, six definite, and I think slight, slight doubt over Jorginho as to whether he's passed a positive or, or negative test. He he's He's indicating the strains that the absence of those seven players puts on a squad that already has injuries. He cited N'Golo Conte having had one training session since picking up a knee injury a month ago and, and having to play 90 minutes against Wolverhampton Wanderers. He, he cited Trevor Chaloba having had two sessions since picking up his, his, his injury about three weeks back ahead of Wolves. And Matteo Kovacic, who's been out for two months, first with a hamstring problem and then COVID. And he, he said, look, if I was in this position coming a day after my isolation ends after COVID and you're asking me to play in the toughest league in the world, then that just seems wrong. So it's put strains on even a squad of Chelsea's opulence, really. Now, you can argue, and and you can argue with some justification that that doesn't explain why they have a, a player that they've taken on loan from Atletico Madrid started the game on the bench and they clearly don't trust to play in midfield instead of N'Golo Conte or Trevor Chaloba or indeed an England international in Ross Barkley that this hasn't worked out where to use him or how to use him or whether he's good enough to be used or Malang Sarr who was the other outfield player along with Kovacic on the bench but the whole the whole package just screams chaos and unpredictability and not really knowing from hour to hour, let alone day to day, who is going to be available and whether you're going to be able to put a team out. And the chaos, the chaos is no good to anybody. 
to be honest. It is. I think it it is actually starting to impinge upon the integrity of the competition as a whole. I think there's a certain amount of distrust amongst some Premier League clubs, which will probably be exposed at the meeting on Monday, as to whether you know teams are getting games called off legitimately because of COVID cases or whether it's just convenient sometimes where players are, are injured and it you know, it'd be better to postpone the fixtures until maybe later in the season when those players might be fit again. I think there's a lot of suspicion there. I think that'll all be exposed in this meeting. I think it'd be fascinating to be a fly on the wall on that Zoom, if you could be a if there are walls to Zoom calls, I don't know. But the whole situation is chaotic and it just feels as if it's 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 almost a breaking point now. It needs to stop. Yeah, you know, we we look at this time of year as a, as a pivotal point in a, in a season, Jordan. Chelsea, you know, they're scheduled at least to end their their three match run over Christmas and the New Year against Liverpool at Stamford Bridge on the second of January. Speaking of Liverpool, it brings us to inevitably Jurgen Klopp, who seems to have been in this entire debate a passionate voice, but actually a voice of reason. You know, he's saying, look, I'm not going to sign an unvaccinated player. What do you make of him and his reaction to it all? Passionate is definitely the word. He's been very vocal in using his platform to get his point across. He's obviously very big on everybody getting the vaccine because as he sees it, it's the only way out of out of this chaos. And the, the, the word that Dom used there, he was speaking earlier this week about... Um, as he would see the stupidity of why you wouldn't get vaccinated. What's the problem? You know, I think Liverpool are at like 97% vaccinated. I think pretty much everybody in Liverpool, the club has been vaccinated. I, I, I personally, this is my personal view, Mike. I think it's time for him to shut up now. And the reason why I say that is because he's made his point on more, more than one occasion. We know where he stands. We know where Liverpool stands. But by continuously pushing his his view of this on, on, on the world, I think what's happening, and maybe it's happening already, but what's going to happen is that a divisiveness is going to now form because he's now spoken, as you mentioned over the weekend, about the fact that, you know, he, you know, he, he will significantly, he will seriously consider or reconsider signing any player that isn't vaccinated. And, and that's his right. And that's Liverpool as a club. That's their right as well. My fear is that, what's going to happen with this kind of split as to those who are vaccinated or not is that we're going to start having to name and shame those who aren't. And then what happens to those players? Do we demonise those players for not being vaccinated? And also what I think is going to be interesting is, and the momentum I think is we're slowly shifting this in this direction is what's going to happen then when assets are revealed to not have been vaccinated. So what I mean by that is, Let's, you know, it's a well and good club saying, we Premier League club saying, yeah, we want everyone to be vaccinated. It's important, blah, blah, blah. What happens if Ronaldo says, I'm not vaccinated? What do United do then? What happens when, okay, Liverpool are pretty much vaccinated, but what happens when, I don't know, Harry Kane, for example, I'm just naming random names here. What if he says, no, I don't want the jab. What do Spurs do then? Do they then stick to their view that, you know, yeah, we want everybody to be vaccinated at our club? So I think while, if you agree with Jurgen Klopp, it's he he's a breath of fresh air and sense, but he's made his point now. You've made your point. What's going to happen is going to happen. Those that aren't being vaccinated aren't going to turn around now and be vaccinated. They're they're not being vaccinated for a reason. What those reasons are, we don't know. Some of them may be ridiculous. Some of them may be genuine. But by him continuously forcing his point on the world, 
I, I just fear now we're going to get to a point where it's going to be so divisive. It, it's going to, it's going to, there, there'll be problems coming down the track. And I just feel he's made his point. Some may argue, no, keep, keep making the point. I wouldn't, again, if, if it was an issue of racism, I wouldn't be saying this. I'd be saying, no, keep making the point that racism is unacceptable. I would, I would endorse that. But I think with this, because there are two sides to it, some people genuinely don't feel that they want to be, they want to be jabbed. I just feel that he's subtly putting putting pressure on those people, and I, and I don't see any positive outcome in you know in in, in that situation. It's a multifaceted, you know, very complicated and almost unique debate going on here, Dom. I just let's sort of veer away slightly from that, if we could, and look at the competitive connotations of of what's going on. You know, as we said, you were you saw Chelsea. It's a club you know well. They're stalling a bit, aren't they? Yeah, they're on their last legs. Their title pursuit is starting to feel a bit. I mean, it's only six points, but the difference between them and Manchester City. But it, it, the momentum is is going the other way. I mean, City have just starting to steamroller teams, even when they play poorly. And Chelsea, the last few weeks, December actually, December again, it's a very similar record this year to last year. Strangely, in in December, something seems to happen to Chelsea as the end of the year approaches. And they've run aground and they've been undone by injury, definitely. They've untimely injuries that have taken out whole sections of the team at one point at, at a time and midfield's absence was keenly felt. I think we see now how important Ben Chilwell was as a left wing back and the, the entire balance of the team has been has been tipped by his his absence with a serious knee problem. You know, people like Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner haven't been allowed to get any rhythm in their game up top through injuries and COVID. And it's just all created this perfect storm where, yeah, they've run out of steam. They actually played pretty well in the second half at Wolves. I mean, that's not a that's not an easy place to go and get a result. Wolves are abrasive. They're awkward. They, they're binary in terms of their results. They don't concede many. They don't score many. And Chelsea were the better team for the second half when it looked as if the, the players that they had assembled in on the pitch were more familiar with each other then. They finally knew who they were playing with. But a, a point at Molyneux when Manchester City are going up to, to Newcastle and winning 4-0 or walloping Leeds 7-0 in midweek, it's, it's just not good enough, really, in terms of a title challenge. So I think a bit of perspective is probably settled on, on where Chelsea are at in terms of the Premier League. Um They'll still go into the new year competing in in five on five fronts, I imagine, because I can't see the Carabao Cup tie happening this week. So that's still not a bad position in which to be. But but yeah, I think I don't think they're ready quite yet to to sustain that challenge against the might of City and potentially Liverpool as well. Mm. What about Liverpool, Jordan? You know, we can look at Mo Salah, who. You know, his performances still suggest that he is certainly the you know the best or is certainly the most effective player in world football at the moment. You can look at Diogo Jota, who's come in and become a very important figure at the club. Fabinho in midfield has been missed badly. Where are Liverpool now? Because when you look at that midfield they, they played um, on Sunday, Tyler Morton, James Milner, Naby Keita, that's not going to cut it, is it? It's not, no. And I think, as Don mentions, as as City seem to be kind of, you know, going into another gear now, 
I think for Liverpool and, and for Chelsea, it's now just a case of just keep as close to City as you can for as long as you can. Try and ride this period of whether well, it be lots of games, lots of injuries, be it cut, you know, people out with COVID or or have, you know, other injuries. I think for Liverpool it's is they've still got the African Cup of Nations where they're gonna lose, you know, money and, and, and Salah as well and and Cater. I don't personally think it's gonna be the, the disaster that I think other people think it may be, because I've seen some of the fixtures Liverpool have got during that period and they're not I mean this could all change with the, the, the pile-up of fixtures due to COVID, but as it currently stands, there's a couple of FA Cup ties in there. There's a couple of nice-ish Premier League ties in there where I don't think they're going to miss Salah and Mane too much. But when you add the youngsters that are now having to come in, you know, Virgil van Dijk's out now for a, for a, for a short period, that then does become slightly problematic. So I, I think Liverpool are in, are in an OK position right now and they'll be hoping that they can just ride this, this period coming through now. But... The way they played yesterday, I, I, I thought they were second best, but they were never... I, I think it's always impressive when a team, a top team, is second best in a game and can still get something from a, from a match. I'm not one of those people that subscribes to the idea or the cliche, sign of a good team is winning when you're not playing well. So I think as a one-off, that's fine, but you, that's, it's not sustainable. You're never going to win anything league-wise or Champions League-wise by not playing well consistently and winning games. Eventually, you'll, you'll come unstuck, as we've seen with United over the last 12 months. But I think yesterday was impressive in the sense that they 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 were second best, but they managed to get they, they managed to get a point. They weren't second best by a mile, in my view. So I think if they can try and eke out points that they did last night when they're not at their full strength and not at their playing best, I think they'll be okay. City were my tip to start of the season to win the title. I'm sticking with City. But I do think, again, back to Chelsea as well, if Chelsea and Liverpool can just stay in touch, because City at some point will have a dip. They will. They just will have a dip at some point. I think they'll still go on to win it. But I think for Chelsea and for Liverpool, it's just about them. Can we just stay in touch for as long for, for as long as possible? Yeah. Well, they've they've won their last eight Premier League matches on the bounce. I think it's scoring twenty four goals, conceding only three. So you know, they are on an, a roll. Do you think they're primed to run away with it, Dom? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do. I think Liverpool will will stick with the longest, but it may be that if Liverpool do conjure a run that they, similar to that, at the end they, they managed at the end of last season that they're, they're coming from too far back. I think the six point gap to Chelsea is probably too much already uh, to be bridged. I don't think City will drop that many points. I mean, they've well, they've conceded nine goals so far this season. They scored eleven in their last two matches. They're they just when they get into that rhythm, and it happened at the same time again last year. They, when they just when they find their their form, and and it's almost like their their players need a a bit of time to readjust to everything that Guardiola needs, and and they they get up to tempo, and then they just they just get on this roll, and they are irresistible for a period of time. Yeah, they will drop points over what remains of the season, but they're they're equally capable of winning sixteen matches, seventeen matches on the bounce, and they're halfway to that already. It would. This is an unpredictable season, given that there is always the possibility that COVID sweeps into your squad and knocks out seven senior players overnight. So I suppose on that regard, no one can ever give up because City may suffer that in the same way that Chelsea is suffering it now, and that Liverpool, in fairness, have have lost key players to to COVID in the last week. But I still think they've got enough quality, and they've got enough players that are. 
in tune with what their their head coach manager wants them to do so it's almost like they can they can like for like for for games you know Jack Grealish and Phil Foden can can drop out and they can still score four goals away from home it's 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 frightening really there's the depth and quality to at their disposal and the position that Liverpool and Chelsea are in now to catch City they're going to both have to beat City and yeah. if I'm not mistaken they both have to go to the Etihad I think Chelsea and Liverpool both have to go to City and to go to City and have to win that's a very big ask. So, and I, I never subscribed to the idea at the start of the season. Also, that because they didn't have an out-and-out striker, they didn't get Kane in, they were going to struggle. I think they showed most of last year that they can deal without having a striker and win the title. But also, people are forgetting that in not having a striker, okay, your goal conversion percentage might go down, but your goal creation chances go up because you've got an extra creator in midfield. So that's something that people just seem to forget when they talk about. Oh, I think City might struggle without a striker. Well, they're because they're, they're creating all those chances that arguably they're missing because they've got an extra midfielder in in in, in that position. So I, I, I think if City can just, they're in a position now where if they can just avoid losing to Chelsea and Liverpool, I, I, I think bar COVID, I can't see what, what, what stops them now from, from here on in. Mm-hmm. Now, again, COVID permitting, we're going to have Arteta and Guardiola, the rematch on the New Year's Day. Ding, ding. That won't last too many rounds, would it, um, Jordan? Easy. <laughs> There's no need for that, Mike. <laughs> well, um, yeah, the smart money, granted, will be on City winning that one convincingly. But I think from an Arsenal perspective and as an Arsenal fan, what I'm looking for from Arteta is him to, at some point in the season, if, if Arsenal are serious about finishing fourth, and they are fourth currently, albeit it's a kind of false fourth, they're not really fourth because other teams have got so many games in hand. If Arsenal are serious about finishing fourth, they're going to have to, at some point in this season, take points or get a result against one of the big three. You can't just rely on, OK, the big three are going to beat us, you know, home and away, but we'll beat everybody else. They're gonna, he's going to have to get a point or something against Liverpool, Chelsea or City at some point in this season. So this, for me, is a good barometer. I gave Mikel Arteta a little bit of a pass in the away trip at Liverpool about a month and a half ago, despite Arsenal being on a good run, because Liverpool are phenomenal and, and, and all of that. But I think now the, the run that Arteta needs to go on to convince Arsenal fans that they can finish fourth, that he has to have a, a, a win or a draw of substance in a run. So the run we had previously, they beat Burnley, Norwich, a poor Spurs side, uh, a few other you know really poor sides as well. Villa were, were on the floor. It was a great run, but they didn't really beat anyone of substance. Whereas now this is a chance for Arteta to really show that he can get a result against the top, top team, the best team in the country. And, and really announce them as, as real top four contenders. So I think it'll be a good test for Arteta. I think what he doesn't want is to get smashed. I think he has to get away from continuously being battered by the Chelsea, Liverpools and City. So it's a big test for, for, for Arteta, less so for Guardiola. He doesn't have much to lose. But um, I, as an Arsenal fan, am looking for Arteta to really show that he can now get a result against one of the top three sides and really announce himself as, as the team to... To, to be taking the, the, the fourth spot. Mm. It's interesting, Dom, Arsenal's win against Leeds really emphasised the growing problems at Ellen Road. For a universally lauded coach like Marcelo Bielsa, what do you make of him cutting almost such a bewildered figure? I think the circumstances have con- conspired against him a bit. Ugh. 
I mean, I, I guess his insistence on working with with a relatively small squad has has, has come back to bite him as well. Uh, when I think nine of the first team, or seven or eight or nine, have, have, have been have been ruled out for a lengthy period of time, something's got to give there. They've got they've got to find a way of adding to that their options in in January, and, and it may be that they end up being one of the more proactive clubs in the market just to stave off that threat of relegation. And they need to get more bodies in the building, but. I think Bielsa. I think I'm right in saying Bielsa's had struggles at other clubs in the past. I mean, there have been there have been issues occasionally. This, you know, he he he's more than capable of of, of turning it around because he's got ex- experience of it in in the in his in his lengthy coaching career. But they are they they just they look a team on their last legs at the moment. I mean, that was <laughs> I want to say men against boys, but. Arsenal were actually the boys running rings around them at Ellen Road. They they just looked patched up. They looked rather clunky and awkward in their in the lineup, and it, it it just felt a bit a bit makeshift, really. For all the talent of of players like Gellart, they shouldn't be relying upon guys like that at this stage of their development. And yeah, it just it just it just looked like a, a a team and a squad in desperate need of reinforcements. And it may be that if games are postponed over the next few weeks, that by the time that they they attack the second half of the season, they will have those reinforcements in the building. And they certainly you'd, you'd expect that um, you know once their director of football calms down and uh, stops screaming at people in the stands, he'll 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 be going out there and and bringing in uh, bringing in reinforcements to. To strengthen their options in the in January. Yeah, speaking of January, Jordan, it's inevitable, isn't it, that the the likes of Newcastle in particular are going to have to overpay. Is it impossible to find any value in the market at this time of year? And and, and as a secondary to that, how many players do Newcastle need? Uh, Eleven. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's impossible to find value. I think it's very very hard. And I think this January window could be the hardest one ever because I just don't think clubs are going to want to really let anybody go. <laughs> you're going to need bodies on bodies in, in the squad, even bodies that you're not playing. I just don't think you can afford to let anybody go unless somebody's proving hugely problematic or, as you mentioned there, Newcastle are kind of going to pay three times a person's value. I just don't see anybody letting anybody go. So I, I think it will be tricky this 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 window more more than ever. I think Newcastle need a lot of players. I've been banging on for, for, for three or four years now that that Newcastle team for me is a championship team. I know Callum Wilson is a Premier League striker. I rate him. So Maximan, I think, is a Premier League wide man. Lascelles, I like, but he's he, you can't get 10 games in a row out of him. The keeper's okay. I like Shah. He's okay. He's in and out of the team. Beyond that, it, it's a championship team. So you kind of need to start from scratch, uh, in, in, in my view. My thing for Newcastle isn't so much the money they have to pay. I think they're going to have to accept they're going to have to pay a lot of money to get players in, in into their into the into the building. The bigger issue is have they planned for the players they want? So for me, have they got those guys lined up now? So the first of January, it's done. If my worry and concern is that they start negotiating and sourcing players in January, and I just don't think they can afford to do that. If they're smart, and that's a big big question there, if they're smart, they'd have had the four, five, six players that they want almost, you know, pretty much wrapped up already. So when the 1st of January comes, boom, there's there's no negotiating. It's just a case of signing on a dotted line. So 
it's the preparation and planning that I think is the and the thought and the kind of looking ahead that I think is the bigger issue for Newcastle more so than than how much do we have to pay? They, they have to accept they're gonna have to pay more, uh, you know, more than probably they they, they want to. They got just got to get over that. I also think that it, it won't make a difference. I think they're going down anyway. But yeah, I, I think they're gonna to struggle to get players out of clubs and, unless they, you know, really put some silly silly figures down. Well, the fact that they only announced Nick Hammond as a a temporary director of football, whatever title you want to dream up for him, last week suggests that they are behind the curve. You know, Newcastle are due to play Manchester United on Boxing Day, Dom. United had a break, a COVID-enforced break. That gives, I'm assuming, Ranick a little bit more time to work out what he wants to do. How will that squad, do you think, change in January? There's already talk of their losing Cavani to Barcelona. I don't know whether that will give him time to do what he wants to do, you know. I mean, if they've closed Carrington, I don't see how he can get players on the training pitch... And and get them drilled into what into the type of methods and 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 that he he wants to impose there. So I, I'm I'm not sure that 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 made us have been a hiatus. Yes, it might have, it might refresh. Well, I want to say it might refresh minds and bodies, but but if you've got COVID, you're not going to feel particularly refreshed anyway. <laughs> oh dear, what a situation. I I, I suspect that United will trim if they can in January. I I wouldn't have thought that there'll be. A massive investment in terms of incomings for the reasons that, that Jordan's already outlined. I don't think a lot of clubs out there are, are going to want to to part with players. I mean, to the extent that I don't think you'll see a lot of even fringe players going send out on loan anymore because you might need them. You might need you might need them on the bench. You might need them in the team if you if you lose three or four players overnight in the preparation to a game. Arguably, that's what's come back to bite Chelsea in the last few weeks. There may be there may be opportunity. This is going to sound dreadful because this this is the sort of Premier League. This is the Premier League basically showing what how ruthless it can be. But it, it maybe if other leagues across Europe are cancelled, and other leagues suddenly suffer financial crises, that Premier League clubs find, find themselves slightly better off in terms of the money they'll have to spend and their resources because of the the size of their broadcast deal, broadcasting deals, and that's. That's on the proviso that they don't have to give a lot of that money back because games are being cancelled or being played behind closed doors. But maybe you could you could go and have a look at what France has got to offer. Maybe you could go and have a look and see even what Germany's got to offer and and test the water on a few on a few big names there and and players that 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 Ranić might might look at in the in the longer term, even though he's technically only there in the short term. But it's all ifs and buts, and it's all COVID-related. You can't get away from it. Everything is up in the air at the moment. We just don't know what's going to happen next, and we don't, we don't know how strong those Premier League clubs are going to be, and and you know whether the likes of Newcastle, whether the likes of Manchester United are going to be able to go and buy players off rival English clubs. It may be they have to go abroad, and then how well prepared are they to, to go and do that? As you say, do they have the scouting networks that are going to pluck the gems from? From from the continent or from South America, or whatever it's 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 really difficult at the moment, and it you know logically speaking, it could be quite a quiet window. Mm-hmm. Look at Everton, if we could please, Jordan. Rafa Benitez went. He, t- he talked about one game can change everything. I wondered whether that draw that they had at Chelsea could be that game, but I'm also looking at the bigger picture. Wayne Rooney. 
Now, he's resisting links to his old club. Let's be honest here, that's a great story waiting to be written, isn't it? It really is. don't know if it's a good move. I think sometimes, and we've seen, you know, with United of late, that sometimes nostalgic moves don't always necessarily, you know, work out for the better betterment of the club itself. I'm still not... I know we had difficult circumstances at Derby to deal with, so maybe it's difficult to kind of really gauge how good a coach or manager he really is. But I'm still not quite convinced about whether Wayne Rooney is 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 worthy of of a Premier League, let alone a you know big Premier League position or Premier League club. So, as a story, yeah, Wayne Rooney goes back to his club and he you know revives them. He works in the back room or as a coach or as assistant or whatever, or takes over from Rafa. And you know they go on and they win the Premier League for two of these threes in a row. Great, the Golden Boy comes home and does good. In reality, I'm I'm just not convinced that it would be would be a great move. I think it would be another, if you like, knee jerk and emotional move from a club that have been a mess for about a decade now, maybe even beyond. I think some cold, hard decisions need to be made at Everton rather than warm, cuddly, fuzzy, uh, emotional ones. So I'm 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 not I'm not really on board with with that. It would be great for us as just journalists and as the media to you know, to, you know that that'd be it'd be copy for days there. But I think in practice, I'm I'm not sure that he would in any position at the moment be 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 a great move to go back there. Mm. They're scheduled to be at home to Brighton on the second of Jan. Brighton are they reverting to type? Do you think? Dom is eleven without a win in the Premier League. You know, okay, they've only lost three of those, but still a heck of a sequence. They haven't had a win since Swansea in the League Cup in September. Again, I suppose when we look at the the transfer market, it could have been so different had they had the resources or certainly the will to go out and buy an expensive but reliable goal scorer. Yeah. Yeah, and that's been the story of the last couple of years with with Brighton, as you say. They always seem to be one striker short of of being an excellent, excellent team. If you throw a 20-goal striker into that group, you've got a a team that's qualifying for Europe, potentially, given the number of chances they create in matches. Certainly at the start of this run, that was definitely the the case. They They were playing really, really good stuff at times. I suspect that when you go 11 matches without a winning the Premier League, which I think is their worst sequence since they were promoted. The confidence must be draining away, it must be ebbing away. I mean, on, on paper, some of the games that they've got, you look at and think those are opportunities to, to turn it round. That they've they've had a bit of a, a break again, COVID related, to take stock and, and, and can go again from that. I think they'll be absolutely fine, but it it, it must be very frustrating for Graham Potter, it must be very frustrating for Tony Bloom, and it may be very frustrating for their supporters that they they're sort of tantalisingly there, but but never quite take that last step. But there's still a lot going right at at, at the club. There's, there's there's a great setup there. It's a everything's sort of built towards progression. I think I think they will continue to progress. I don't think they'll I don't think they'll be struggling in terms of the relegation fight, which actually constitutes progress given that the last few seasons they have been sort of on the fringes of those relegation places until the last few weeks of the season. They're almost doing the season in reverse, aren't they? But I think, it, yeah, they'll, they'll be all right. There's enough stuff to do. But at some point, yeah, they, they'll, they'll, have to, they'll have to either gamble or strike it very lucky 
in terms of a striker. Twenty million pounds doesn't buy you a, a twenty goal striker in the Premier League very often these days. So, so maybe they have to push the boat out and find the money if possible to to buy a forty million pound or a fifty million pound striker to make the difference. Mm. They're due to be at Brentford on Boxing Day, uh, Jordan. You know the famous bus stop in Hounslow. They've already got twenty points. Survival's pretty likely, isn't it? Yes, I think that there's enough there for them to be okay. And I think an, another cliche klaxon alert here. I think there are three, at least three worse teams than Brentford. I think they've got goals in their team. I think they've got a spirit that I I think is a, is one that I think is conducive to a, an environment where you need to come together and fight and battle. I think they've got that. I think they've got a manager that is intelligent and is very, very clear and unwavering in how he wants to play his play football. I think everybody understands a little bit, you know, Bielsa-esque in terms of everybody at Brentford knows how the manager wants them to play and they seem happy to play that, 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 that type of football. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll get enough points in the second half of the season to be okay. I think their start of the season has definitely helped them because I think if, you, if you're a new team to the Premier League and you start well, I think that belief then kicks in that actually we are worthy of being here. We can compete with the best. So no, I don't have any concerns about about them during this Christmas period or, or beyond. Yeah. What about Leicester, Dom? Again, if the calendar's to be believed, they're starting at Manchester City, then they've got uh, Liverpool. A uh, bit of respite against Norwich on New Year's Day. Brendan Rodgers, this is his most difficult season there. Is it as simple as just looking at that defence? Well, given that the the problems are recurring, and indeed, Brendan Rodgers has, has has said the same things in post match interviews on far too many occasions this season about about tightening up at the back and about defending set pieces better. It probably is, yeah, because I think you look at their attacking resources and they're they're mouth watering, and indeed across midfield, when you see the likes of Tielemans in there, and, and they've got very very good players in 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 the forward areas of the pitch and maybe a bit of disruption when you know Johnny Evans is is in and out with with injuries and in various issues and Soyuncu's form has has dropped Fafana's absence is is being keenly felt although again brilliant brilliant as he as he did in this first season I'm not sure you should you should fall away to the extent that they have after losing a 22 year old Defender who's only got one season of Premier League football behind him, so that, that yeah, there are there are question marks there, and, and he he you know for a man of his ambitions, he he won't be very satisfied with the way things have gone so far this season. So it's a test, yeah. You have to get it right. You have they have to sort themselves out. They have to try and find a stinginess again. Maybe that means maybe maybe they won't be able to enter the market and to do that. Maybe they maybe they should they should rely on coaching because these are good players. Sunchi has done it before. Johnny Evans is 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 a class player and, and with a with a pedigree. You look at the the resources they've got and they they should be doing better than they are. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a trying it's been a trying season for them and uh, and and maybe now you know given that Europe went the way it did. Maybe they can prioritise the Premier League now and just make sure that they they, they find a bit more rhythm and, and regularity to their performances and consistency in performance. Yeah, I, I found it interesting looking to the long term how they're they're starting to build up their academy. You know, Paul McGuinness, who's an outstanding youth coach, has gone in on a in a senior role there. I suppose in another club, Jordan, 
which might be about to reap the dividend of ag- aggressive recruitment at youth level is Aston Villa. They've actually got a lot to look forward to in 22, haven't they? They do. They really do. I mean, I've had some fun with Villa fans online over the last 18 months because I, I dared to question their their Midlands god, Dean Smith, um, and they weren't having it at all. Um, and I was proven right because he's gone now. But I do actually like what's happening at Villa. I do actually like a lot of the groundwork that Dean Smith did there. I was having a chat with a friend of mine over the weekend about Steven Gerrard and whether he asked me whether he thought it was a little bit out of order for him to, to have left range when he did, whether he should have seen that project through. And I said, if it was any other club in the Premier League, apart from Villa, that had come in for Steven Gerrard, I would agree with that. But when a club the size of Aston Villa come for you with that squad as well, I think they've got one of the best squads in the league. It's very difficult for someone, I think, to turn that down. So I I do like the the, the players that they've got there, the recruitment. But as you mentioned, there's some really exciting young players at that club that... I think someone like Stephen Gerrard would just love to get his hands on. I think we're seeing already he's giving he's spoken about giving everybody a chance, but he's very happy to give young players a chance. I mean, obviously he was a player that, as a young player at Liverpool, was given his chance very early on as well. And I think he understands the importance of a recognizing talent and then finding a pathway into the first team for that talent. So, yeah, I, th- I think the next two or three years, Aston Villa could be very exciting. I think. I don't want to go too early on on Steven Gerrard, but I think that they've got someone there that can really, in the next couple of years, be a team that, 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 that with the, the recruitment and the talent that's coming through at youth level, really be pushing for, you know, to be a top six team in, in, in the Premier League. Yeah, I suppose we've got to end on this painfully familiar subject, VAR, the inconsistency of refereeing or the inadequacy of refereeing, all highlighted in the uh, Liverpool draw with Spurs on Sunday. When you've got VAR backing up what are manifestly wrong decisions, where are we with it all, Dom? Confused? I mean, I mean, staggered, quite frankly, with some of those decisions this weekend. Newcastle you can put in in the same bracket with Edison's challenge um, yeah, on yeah. Ryan Fraser. Yeah, baffled by it. And it, the issue appears to be that we're lurching from from one extreme to to the next. We're we're having a week weekends of soft penalty awards, and then the following weekend where we're just not going to award any penalties whatsoever. Um, and there's no happy medium. There's no sort of common sense approach to it all no uniformity and it has got to the point where really we we given how bizarre the, the decisions made over, over this weekend a weekend of four premier league fixtures that that you know they they probably does need to be some public clarity offered from Mike Riley good um, good luck waiting for that by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's yeah, I mean, look at the very fact that everybody is just outraged by, it, and, and everybody's just perplexed by the, the 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 sort of range of the of the baffling decisions uh, over the over the weekend. Just sums up the chaos of it. Um, it's chaos everywhere, isn't it? It's COVID chaos. Now it's VAR <laughs> chaos. What a great time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. VAR has just made it worse, hasn't it, Jordan? It has. It has. I was never really. A, I was never a supporter of VAR coming. VAR coming in. 
I think it's also just basically highlighting the standard of referees in this country. I think it's exposing it, unfortunately. For, for, for me, I'm, I'm, I defend referees a lot, and I have done over the years. I, but with my frustration isn't so much of referees making errors. I'm actually an Arsenal fan, and we've, we've been done over a few times this and last year by errors. I'm not actually upset with referees making mistakes. My issue is the shockers. Referees can make a mistake. It can go against my team. They can give a pen when it wasn't a pen. They can send a, send a player off when he shouldn't have. I, 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 it's frustrating at the time, especially if it's a game you need to win. But I can accept that and get over that. What I can't accept are the shockers. For me, in the Liverpool game, the Jota one, the penalty, it's a blatant penalty. The Harry Kane one, it's a blatant red card. The Newcastle game, Don mentions there, it's like, these, these are not errors. These these are these are shockers. It's like how do you not recognize that? And for VAR to 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 not, and I know there's they have to be told they're going to we're going to review it. But for VAR to not do its job by assisting the referee by saying, "Look, mate, you've missed a shocker there. I think you might want to have another have another look at that." If the referee then still decides I'm sticking with my decision, then that's then that's then cool. But to not to to not intervene and to not ask for help when when it's there. I just don't see the point of it. And I just think if, if we're not going to use it, and if it's going to, as you say, if it's going to just endorse the mistakes and back up the mistakes, then what really is the point in it? We must have gone back to where we were before and just, just you know, keep the heat on the referees. At least then we know there's one person accountable for it. So I wasn't a fan of it. It's here to stay. But but I think they need, they need to look at it because it worked during the, during the Euros and during the World Cup. So we know that it works. It's the question of is the standard of refereeing in this country so bad that they just that they're, that they're the problem and they're not implementing it in the correct way? Yeah, the problem is that VAR represents an impossible dream, perfection in an imperfect world. Modern football is fast and furious. Mistakes are made by world-class players. They're also made by overhyped, relentlessly scrutinised referees. Some of them, frankly, aren't up to the job. What makes it worse is that their mistakes are compounded by faceless officials in Stockley Park. VAR needs to be revised at the very least as a matter of urgency. Do you agree? Please let me know. In the meantime, thanks to Dom and Jordan for their insight and thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Have a great Christmas. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.